Well, good morning, everyone. And to those of you who are watching uh, online this morning, we want to welcome you as well. My name's Tim. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace, and it really is a privilege to be with all of you today. In this room right now, just out of curiosity, with a raise of hands, how many of you in this room are uh, veterans? Would you raise your hands? All right, number of people. Can we, can we thank them? We are sincerely grateful for the service that you offered on our behalf. And uh, we just want to say thank you on this Veterans Day weekend. For a season of time in my college and young adult years, I was fairly serious about a routine of getting to the gym weight room on campus to, uh, to lift weights. My objective was to increase my strength. And in the discipline of weight room training, how is it that you know when you are actually increasing strength? How is it that you know? You put additional weight on the bar, right? You're able to put additional weight on the bar. And the point is this, if you're serious about becoming stronger, you intentionally seek to gradually handle increasing weight on the bar. Not coincidentally, um, spiritual life has some similarity. Very often, spiritual growth or spiritual maturity increases during times of challenge or hardship. We're tested. We're tested during times when we're in circumstances that are over our heads. Or to put it another way, we may find ourselves growing spiritually when there is more weight on the bar. Last week, Pastor Jordan kicked off a new teaching series that runs through November. My wife Ann told me that Pastor Jordan asked this question early in his message last week. In what ways have we become comfortable and left God out? In what ways have we become comfortable prioritizing comfort? And we've left God out. We've titled this new teaching series that runs through November, Outside Your Comfort Zone. And for followers of Jesus, there are times when we recognize that the way forward is particularly challenging and hard. Jesus loves us. And because he loves us, he aims to lead and shepherd us toward increasing measures of maturity. And for those of us who have followed Jesus for some time, we've come to recognize that in his loving desire to shape us and refine us, he may lead us. He may lead us into some challenging situations. And the passage that we're going to look at today represents 
such an occasion. If you have a Bible with you, you could turn with me to Matthew 14. Matthew 14, we're going to be looking at verses 22 to 33. And before we read those verses, I just want to set the context a little bit. In the preceding verses of Matthew 14, Jesus has miraculously served well over 5,000 people with little more than a happy meal. There was a little boy's lunch that Jesus multiplied that consisted, at least when Jesus first received it, of a couple of little fish and five small loaves. And Jesus breaks the bread, he breaks the, the fish, and it just keeps multiplying and multiplying because there were people there who were hungry, who had been out most of the day. They'd been listening to some of the, the teaching of Jesus. And Jesus recognized that they had physical need. And so he wanted to serve them. So he multiplies the two fish and five loaves. And after everyone was served, there were leftovers. Twelve baskets of leftovers. And here's the deal. While the disciples who were there, who had seen all of this with their own eyes, they'd experienced it. They were trying to process what had just happened because they didn't have a category for this. What happened was unexplainable. And they were urged by Jesus to take a boat across the Sea of Galilee, and he said he would follow them later. By the way, I just want to make this parenthetical statement the Sea of Galilee is sometimes referred to as the Lake of Gennesaret. They're not two different bodies of water. It's the same body of water. The Sea of Galilee and the Lake of Gennesaret. So Jesus uh, has urged his disciples to go ahead of him. Instead of going around the sea, they were going to cut across. So Jesus sends them off. And with that, we come to the passage beginning at verse 22 of Matthew 14. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd, very large crowd. And after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat on which he had sent the disciples out was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. And during the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, Peter, one of the disciples, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. 
Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. They'd been with him for some time. But here was additional evidence that Jesus, this one they were following, was really the Son of God, God in the flesh. And last week in Matthew 8, Pastor Jordan, he preached from a passage in Matthew chapter 8 about a frightening storm that took place in the Sea of Galilee. And now six chapters later, the disciples are caught in another treacherous storm on that sea. And and if we were to connect these two events, it seems that Jesus is seeking, now watch this, he's seeking to build their spiritual muscle once again in the context of a storm. In the context of a storm. I suppose we could say Jesus wants to strengthen our faith by showing us more of his power and presence whenever we find ourselves in a storm, some storm of life. We're not just talking about a thunderstorm. We're not talking about a tornado, blizzard. We all are familiar with that expression, storms in life. The kind of storms that knock you off balance. Jesus wants to strengthen our faith by showing us more of his power and presence whenever we find ourselves in a storm. We believe here at Grace, he's alive. He's risen from the dead. He's alive. And we see that theme developed and woven through the incident we're looking at today. And the first thing that we noticed in this passage is this, that Jesus may deliberately lead us into a storm in order to show us more of his adequacy. When you read verse 22 of this passage that we're looking at this morning, who was it that sent the disciples out onto the Sea of Galilee that night? Who was it? It says, immediately he, Jesus, made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Jesus sent them into that storm. Our women's ministry at Grace is going through a study in the book of James this fall. I think they have like three weeks left in the study. And in the very first week, they looked at a, a passage in James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. And the passage goes like this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Count it all joy when you encounter difficulty or challenge. But because you know that as you lean in, focused on the Lord, He's at work 
producing new measures of steadfastness and perseverance in us. Probably about three months ago, I got a call from a, a ministry leader asking me if I would be open to facilitating uh, a special weekend, kind of a healing and reconciliation weekend for a church in western Wisconsin that was in conflict. There had been uh, a number of people who had left the church and the church was hurting, limping. A good church that was limping. And I said, well, I've never done a weekend specifically like that before, and I really don't have a frame of reference for what it is that you're talking about. So they kind of walked me through some potential ideas for what might be involved in the weekend. And uh, I more or less said, okay, I'm willing. Now, this is what I want to say to you. I did not say I'm willing because I thought I was adequate because, frankly, I was a little overwhelmed. In fact, what I knew in my own soul is that I was inadequate. But what I don't want to do is I don't want to say no or be afraid because I perceive that I'm inadequate. And here's why. Because I believe that there is a Lord who is very adequate. And he wants to be the adequacy in my inadequacy. And in about the third or fourth conversation that I had with this ministry leader related to this situation, what I was told, um, I was finally told the name of the church. And I believe this is all part of the sovereignty of God. It was a church that was the daughter church of a church that Ann and I were serving a couple of decades ago, in fact, 17 years ago, when the church planter and his wife, who planted that church, when they were trying to make a final decision because there was some apprehension, our leadership team asked Ann and I, if we would go and pray with that couple. So I go into this situation where I'm feeling inadequate, but it was personal for me all weekend because Ann and I had been in the delivery room for the birthing of that church. And friends, this is what I want to say to you, and in part I want to, I'm sharing this this morning because I know there were a lot of you that prayed for me because I'm There was no head bob thing going on for me going to this place. I felt very inadequate. A lot of you prayed for me. All I can tell you, friends, last weekend, I saw the Holy Spirit do amazing things beyond what I could have imagined. There are times when Jesus will lead us into a storm or invite us into a storm because he wants to show us more of his adequacy. Secondly, experiencing fear or faith is related to the object of your focus. Now think about this. In the larger context of this story, the disciples had just seen 
the feeding of the 5,000. They'd just seen the incomparable power and authority of Jesus. But just hours later, they find themselves in a storm. And, and, and I think we can relate to this, right? You can be riveting on Jesus and his amazing exploits, and in the next moment, you're in a storm. And so here's the question, everyone. You know, Holy Spirit, help me to ask my own soul this question. So where is it that you're going to focus? Where do you focus? You're going to focus on Jesus who's amazing, who you've seen do exploits. Or are you going to focus on the storm? Or are you going to focus on the storm? Now, these disciples, they were exhausted. And it says that Jesus came to them on the fourth watch of the night. That's the expression that's used in the passage. That would have been between 3 and 6 a.m. in the morning. Disciples were exhausted. And they were in peril because of this storm. And in their mix of weariness and peril, they're on edge, understandably. We all get that, right? They're on edge. And they see on the horizon of this raging sea that they're in a singular figure. And they begin to notice that that singular figure is not in a boat, not in a jet ski, nothing like that. This singular figure is just on the horizon, but not in the boat. And in their exhaustion, they think it's a ghost. And Jesus speaks. Jesus speaks at that point as he's getting closer and closer to the boat. And they're, I mean, they're freaking out in the boat. As Jesus gets closer, this is what he says, everyone. Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And I'm absolutely persuaded that just as Jesus spoke that to 12 men who were frightened in a boat in the first century, he speaks similarly to us. Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Reminds me of the occasion where uh, Jairus, the synagogue ruler in Mark 5, went to see Jesus because his little girl was dying. And he went, he, he finds Jesus, and they're returning to Jairus' home. And en route to Jairus' home, Jairus receives word that his little girl has died and that the mourners are there. And Jesus turns to Jairus. And all he says is, don't be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid, 
Just believe. For followers of Jesus, we know that in whatever situation we're in, the presence of God is with us. In the Exodus, the pillar of cloud by day went before the people. At night, it was the pillar of fire. God's presence was with them. God says through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand. D.A. Carson, um, for many years, was a prof at Trinity Seminary in Deerfield, Illinois. And, 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 and I, I saw a talk that he did about seven years ago. And I, I found it online again this week. And, and in that talk, he makes this safe statement. We are saved not based on the intensity or the size of our faith, but rather by the object of our faith. We're saved, we're renewed, not by the size or intensity of our faith, but on the object of our faith. So the hymn writer could say, I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me so that I could be made whole. Tim Keller put it this way. If you're falling off a cliff, strong faith in a weak branch is fatally inferior to weak faith in a strong branch. Salvation is not finally based on the strength of your faith, but on the object of your faith. Can I get a witness? It's about the object of our faith. Jesus, focus on him. Third, in this historical incident, we see this principle. Jesus wants to display his power in and through people who are willing to trust him and to get out of the boat. Right? Isn't that something that comes through in this story? Comes through in this story. Peter sees Jesus coming. He's on the edge of the boat. And Peter asks Jesus to invite him out on the water. <laughs> and the other 11 think, Peter has lost his mind. But that was Peter's request. And Jesus invites Peter to come to him. And everyone, I mean, reread the passage. Mark it well. We're told Peter walked on the water. This is amazing. And the takeaway is this. You have to get out of the boat to walk in the water. And as long as Peter's gaze was on Jesus, Peter experienced the unexplainable. He walked on water. It was when he got distracted by the wind and the waves and what was going on around him that he lost his focus on Jesus and began to sink. Friends, listen, 
This isn't just a history lesson. The Holy Spirit is here speaking to us today. Isn't that true for us as well? You're focused on Jesus. You're making progress in faith. But we get so easily distracted, don't we? We get distracted and we start looking around us and we lose our bearings. And it's right about that time that we begin to sink. At first, it might be almost imperceptible, but we begin to sink because we've lost that gaze on Jesus. What's interesting in Peter's case, Jesus was there, he reached out, and he brought Peter out of that turbulence, and praise the Lord, that is true for us today. As we begin to sink, as we're beginning to lose our bearings, Jesus stands ready to reach for us when we call to him. And look toward him. Jesus brought Peter out of the turbulence. And what's interesting to me about this particular story is very often what happens is we focus on Peter and his failure to stay focused on Jesus. And we think, well, it's just a shame. He couldn't stay focused on Jesus and he sunk. But this is what I want to submit to you, friends. Eleven other disciples were so frozen with fear that they're unwilling to venture out and experience the possibility that Jesus might empower them also to experience the unexplainable. They just stayed in the boat. Unwilling to take a risk. Unwilling to practice risky faith, to trust Jesus. And I just want to say this. We desire for more and more people at Grace to be mobilized for ministry, people who are willing to get out of the boat and stay focused on Jesus who calls us to himself. And I hope we understand that status quo and safety in the boat will never position us to be agents of Jesus in his transforming work in the county. And sometimes, sometimes, it takes one. It was Peter here. But sometimes it takes one to humbly and courageously step out in faith outside their comfort zone. And when they do, others not only see the power and presence of the Lord in the life of that one, but they become personally challenged to step out in faith themselves. And so here's, here's the question. In your decision-making... Is it about comfort or is it about risk-taking faith? And I just, I just need to tell you, this has become a cutting-edge question for me personally. Is it about comfort or is it about risk-taking faith? 
Well, we've been saying this morning that Jesus wants to strengthen our faith by showing us more of his power and presence whenever we find ourselves in a storm. We've said this morning, Jesus may deliberately lead us into a storm to show us more of his adequacy. Experiencing fear or faith is related to the object of your focus. And third, Jesus wants to display his power in and through people who are willing to overcome fear and get out of the boat. This scene that we've been considering this morning was actually the closing scene of year three of uh, that series, The Chosen. And in that scene, after Jesus reaches down and pulls Peter out of that raging sea, Peter says to Jesus, don't let me go. Don't let go of me. Don't let me go. And friends, what we can assure one another of this morning is this. The Lord Jesus will hold us. You come to faith in him. You put your trust in him, this living Lord Jesus Christ. He will hold you. And interestingly for Peter, there would still be ups and downs as he followed the Lord. So he goes through this amazing experience. And the Lord does hold him. And yet Peter, like all of us, even after we come to faith, even after we've seen the exploits of the Lord, in Peter's case, he was impetuous, at times dangerously impetuous. On the evening before Jesus went to the cross, Peter cuts off the ear of the servant of the high priest. And on the same evening, Peter capitulates to fear and denies Jesus three times. And yet, and yet, the Lord continued to shape and refine Peter. Because you see, Jesus hangs on to us, friends. You commit to him, he hangs on to us. Over 30 years later, Peter was a leader in the first century church. He was living in Rome, and he wrote a letter to Christians who were in a storm of persecution. And in 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7, Peter writes this as he closes this letter to these struggling believers. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that what? That he might lift you up. That he might lift you up. Think Peter ever experienced that? What about Matthew 14? Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he might lift you up. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Friend, wherever you're at in your spiritual journey today, I want to say to you on the authority of the word of God, which features the gospel, no one cares for you like Jesus does. No one. He's alive today. No one cares for you like he does. Becoming a man of, or woman of faith instead of fear is going to involve humbling yourself before the Lord. Because you see, it really depends on where you put your focus. Your gaze. 
And that brings us to the communion table this morning. And when you came in, some of you picked up one of these little communion kits that are out in the lobby. And whenever, whenever we remember the Lord in communion here at Grace, what we're being very intentional and deliberate about is this, that at the heart of the gospel is this sacrifice of Jesus who came and offered his life on our behalf so that we could be forgiven, so there could be reconciliation between us and God. He made a way for that. And there are two elements in communion. There's the bread, which is a reminder that his body was given for us, and the cup, which reminds us that his blood was shed for us. For a number of years, with regularity, I would give blood at hospital blood centers. And there would be a sign that I would see on the wall. And it said simply this, give the gift of life. Give the gift of life. When Jesus Christ shed his blood on the cross on our behalf, there was a way for us to be forgiven. He shed life blood, gave his life for us. And for many of us in this room, we'll just never get over that. And so what we do at communion is we remember him. This one who... uh, made a way for us to come into relationship with him. The one who uh, wants to shape us and refine us beyond that time, but he's a faithful shepherd and life leader. If you open that top tab, we want to remember him today. We want to remember Jesus. the night before he went to the cross when he was establishing this remembrance for all time he said to his disciples who were in that room this bread represents my body which is given for you whenever you eat it remember me Friends, you just want to whisper to God a prayer of thanks for the sacrifice of Jesus who did on purpose, according to plan, go to the cross 
and shed blood for the forgiveness of our sin. On that night before he went to the cross, Jesus said to his disciples, this cup represents the new covenant in my blood given for the forgiveness of sin. Whenever you drink it, remember me. Bless you, Lord Jesus Christ. You're the worthy one. You are worthy. And we celebrate that you are alive today, having risen from the dead. Minister to us now, Holy Spirit, as we... Uh, Sing a responsive song of worship in Jesus' name.